the Toad Hop Network studios. In Hollywood, this, this is the ToadHopNetwork.com. It is strongly addictive. Radio worth watching. Radio worth watching. This is Vox Populi. Vox Populi. The voice of the occasionally interested people. A political talk show for people who don't spend a lot of time talking politics. The only agenda. Understand, inform, and entertain. Now, here's your host, Sean Astin. Hello, everybody. My name is Sean Astin. Welcome to Vox Populi, voice of the occasionally interested people here on the Toad Hop Network. You're listening to the dulcet tones of uh, Fleetwood Mac. Uh, Don't stop believing. Last night at the Democratic uh, National Convention uh, in North Carolina. President Clinton brought down the house by anybody's standards, friend or foe alike, um, could do nothing but be in, uh, you know, wonder at the the capacity of this guy to uh, own it and hold the crowd in the palm of his hand. Uh, we are going to have a great show today talking about President Clinton's speech, really dissecting it, breaking it down. Got a good interview with Pete Dominic, who is at the Republican convention. He's a stand-up comic and a journalist, has a podcast on Sirius, and uh, I don't know if it's a podcast, so I guess he has a radio show on Sirius, and uh, really you know, passionate uh, uh, lefty. Uh, really kind of him to jump on the phone with us, so we're going to play that in a little bit. 323-622-8623. We're also going to talk about um, the Democratic Party platform and the uh, – I, I just like the word kerfuffle. I don't know what it actually means, but I think it's appropriate here with regard to putting back into the platform language uh, about uh, using the word God and, and – a. a, a, a testimony, a statement of faith um, in the platform and also um, uh, re, uh, replacing the uh, the language that talked about Jerusalem being the capital of Israel, which had been taken out of the platform. And Republicans and pundits had really started going after the uh, Democrats um, and like that. So let me uh, – as calls come in, I'm going to take them and then we're going to start uh, bouncing through some of these uh, clips that I want to play. So right up out of the box, we have – hello. Hello, hello. I have answered the telephone, and yet I hear no one speaking. Can you hear me? Remember the day after that nuclear thing? Uh, okay, so I'm going to disconnect that call because I couldn't hear them. Sorry, person. Uh, here's another call. Hello, hello. Uh, here's another call. Hello. Hello, hello. Uh, hello. Hi. Hi. We have a little bit of feedback, but I'm going to uh, say hello. This is Sean. Who's this? Um, my name's Mary. I'm calling from Attleboro, Massachusetts. Hey, Mary. How are you? Fine, thank you. Uh, a little tired and frustrated from all the politics on, on television, but, um, you know, I listened to your last broadcast and how you talked about how you loved politics. I do. And 
you found it very enervating. Oh, by the way, a, a kerfuffle is a commotion. Right. Okay, um, good. So I'm using it appropriately. I, I was a Democrat up until 2010. I loved politics. I couldn't get enough of it. I would stay up very late watching debates and, and conventions and things like that. And I was a Democrat most of my life because the issues were real to me. They mean something to me. I volunteer for the homeless. And here in Attleboro, it's a former mill city. Um, there are a lot of displaced workers, people who jobs were outsourced in the 90s and the, no other jobs have come to take them away. And I uh, take, you know, take people to you know, get reemployed and support themselves and their families. And um, I, it's very real. And so over the years, when I contact um, Democrat politicians and um, express my concern, it just got harder and harder to remain a Democrat when you heard the indifference. Indifference? And, yeah, indifference. Well, yeah, because honestly, um, these people... Um, what we're told, what pe you know, people are told is, well, you're xenophobic. You're afraid of change. You're afraid of the change where you're not relevant as as a human being, considering your rights. In fact, you are rich because you merely live in America, and being hungry and homeless, and exposed to the elements if you're homeless, is much easier to bear because you live in America and not in a third world country, which is farcical because a lot of the people who are saying these things are very affluent um, and they simply don't care. And I'm not a Republican. I don't agree with the Republican candidates, but I find it very difficult to take Bill Clinton seriously when Bill Clinton had Ron Emanuel, his chief of staff, write NAFTA. Bill Clinton forced it through, signed it illegally when it didn't meet the two-thirds majority that the Constitution requires for... Rahm Emanuel wasn't Clinton's chief of staff. Rahm Emanuel wasn't Clinton's chief of China was a country that murders its own people and facilitated the outsourcing of jobs that harmed the people of the United States. We have untold millions homeless, more than we did during the Great Depression. And people are suffering, and it's real. And the media doesn't report on it. The media doesn't talk, go to tent cities and interview people who live in these Obama bills. They don't. And people suffer. People die every day. People, kids go to school with suitcases because their parents might get moved on, and they don't want to lose what few belongings they have left. That's the reality in America, and it's not discussed. And that's why I couldn't respect myself if I remained a Democrat. Well, I really appreciate your viewpoint. I mean, uh, I, that that feeling of of frustration and desperation and and not having agency in a system is uh, is just awful. And uh, you know, thank goodness we have airwaves that we can go to. Um, you know, we can protest, even though those protests are uh, more and more kind of prescribed. Um, you know, in terms of where we can those stand. Protesters with that. don't really care about the, the homeless. They don't address the homeless. They're talking about they want. You know, they just want to. You know, focus on. Oh, stop the war, stop this, stop that. Um, but they treat the poor as contemptuously in, in Boston, Massachusetts. All right, you Mary, you, I hear you. Taking away uh, homeless resources, demanding the city compensate them with free showers, free this, free that. When they weren't for the homeless, it was for themselves. We, we really need to actually question Barack Obama's claim that you're a bitter clinger if you want and expect the right to have manufacturing jobs come back to the United States when this very president has spent billions of dollars paying GE to outsource 360,000 jo jobs from the U.S. to China. 
Mary, uh, here's everything you're saying to me now is just proof that it's wrong for you to get tired of politics. You have to absolutely stay engaged and, oh, I, and keep... Oh, I can't stop. I can't stop paying attention to it, but I don't enjoy it like I used to because I... I I've had my eyes opened. Well, this is what I would say: is that a spirit of uh, optimism and and joy is as um, uh, persuasive as the strength of an argument sometimes, for better or worse. So I, I would encourage you to try and find that that thing that you used to have and, and bring it back. And and thanks for your viewpoint. I'm going to jump on another call because today's a good day. We're getting lots of calls. Thanks, Mary. Oh, okay, here we go. Hello, hello. Sean. Yo. Hey Sean, it's 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 Sean. I'm the minister in New Jersey. <laughs> hey there, Mr. Sean. Did I did am I, I I only have my iPad here and I can't watch you because it's it doesn't have flash. So am I too early to? No, no, you're you're live on the air and and for anyone who can see me, I look as as uh, me like as usual and 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 you're there. So talk. Do you want to talk talk about whatever you want? But to have a minister on the phone, I'm really curious to hear if you have a a, a thought about the Democratic Party platform, uh, you know, issue of getting you know suspending the rules and putting it in, putting the uh, that language back in there or in there and and how Mayor Villarosa was sort of caught in a very awkward moment um, which I can play here but well, tell me tell me what you what you have on your mind I was actually really disappointed that they decided to put it back in uh, and I'll tell you why um, I'm, I'm a minister in the United Church of Christ uh, which is a progressive liberal, liberal Christian denomination and President Obama used to belong to a UCC church in Chicago uh, before he was elected. Yes, I believe that's well known. For <laughs> <laughs> yes, his pastor kind of went off the deep end at the end, but um, you know, it um, it was one of the things that really excited me about him was that he he really seemed to stem a lot of what he did from a sense of social justice that was informed by his faith. Um, well, I would say that this thing that happened yesterday. Uh, had decidedly little to do with him. It had to do with the. Uh, I agree with the I with agree. the party and and you know there's uh, there's one article that that a friend sent that said something like uh, you know the the uh, you know there there's what is it it's like, they said that the party platform is like a contract that it's nobody looks at it until something goes wrong. But let me let me play a little bit of what it sounded like and, and listen to this with the with the audience. This is um Via Ragosa standing who's the uh the Democratic Party chair, I believe is his uh title, uh chairman of the DNC and he was uh, listening to a motion by the the head of the platform drafting whatever, and uh, who wanted to, in response to the GOP, in response to the media outlet, uh, media kind of um, swarm over it, uh, over the DNC not having the word God in the platform and and having uh, the, this important point about Israel kind of removed from the platform. Th this is this is what it sounded like to those in the hall. Make sure you boost it up, Johnny. Here it comes. From Ohio, the chair of the platform. Ohio, the chair of the platform. Sorry, I'm not sure why it's in that. Here we go. Drafting committee, former governor Ted Strickland. Mr. Chairman, I move that we suspend the rules to permit an amendment to the platform adopted by this convention last night. Governor Strickland has made a motion on the floor to suspend the rules. Is there a second? A motion to suspend the rules to permit the amendment to the platform has been moved and seconded. 
This is a non-debatable Sorry. Motion requiring a two-thirds vote. All of those in favor of suspending the rules, say aye. aye. All those opposed, say no. In the opinion of the chair, there's been a two-thirds affirmative vote to suspend the rules. So this is Antonio Villaraigosa, mayor of Los Angeles. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, this summer, I was proud to serve this party as the platform drafting committee chair. As the chair, I come before you today to discuss two important matters related to our party's national platform. As an ordained United Methodist minister, I am here to attest and affirm that our faith and belief in God is central to the American story and informs the values we've expressed in our party's platform. In addition... Okay, so that, that language is then posted in huge letters in the screen behind Mayor Villaraigosa. And uh, let's listen President a little bit. Obama recognizes Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and our party's platform should as well. Mr. Chairman, I have submitted my amendment in writing and I believe it is being projected on the screen for the delegates to see. I move adoption of the amendment as submitted and shown to the delegates. A motion has been made. Is there a second? Is there any further discussion? Hearing it's a, it's a proposed amendment one, page 32, line 48. We need a government that stands up for the hopes, values, and interests of working people and gives everyone willing to work hard the chance to make the most of their God-given potential. That that's the uh, that's the language. So let uh, the uh, that's the the forceful reintroduction of the word God into the platform. If you read the Republican Party platform, the word God appeared maybe more than any other word in the document. It was uh, I it, I noticed it and sort of remarked on it when I was making um, notes. So and then the uh, and then the second amendment there, uh, Amendment Two for the platform, page sixty three, line twenty six. Jerusalem is. Um, is and will remain the capital of Israel. The parties have agreed that Jerusalem is a matter of uh, uh, fi uh, final uh, status negotiations. It should remain an undivided city accessible to people of all faiths. When he, that's what the language is. It's on the board. What he said was interesting. He said, you know, that President Obama believes and the platform should re reflect, which is just clear, like political cover. Um, you know, saying we don't want people to be able to go after the president for the next two months on this issue because we failed to put it there. So he's led the way and, and we now, you know, after the fact are, are agreeing with it. So, uh, I'm not even really talking about the substance of this as much as I am the parliamentary. L listen to how it goes down. None. The matter requires a two thirds vote in the affirmative. All those delegates in favor say aye. All those delegates opposed say no. Uh oh. In the opinion of the. Let me do that again. <laughs> Let me do that again, he says. All of those delegates. Now he's trying to, with the force of his. Favor, he's trying to Jedi aye. mind trick him. All those delegates opposed say no. Whoa. I'd say the no's have it. Now Mayor Viragosa has this bemused look on his face, not sure what to do, turns around and looks at uh, clearly the parliamentary expert, and the lady says this. Governor of Ohio just looks gobsmacked. She says, you just got to make a choice and let, they're going to do what they're going to do. He says, I'm going to try one more time. Delegates in favor say aye. All those delegates opposed say no. In the opinion of the chair, two-thirds have voted in the affirmative. The motion is adopted. 
and the platform has been amended as shown on the screen. Wow. I mean, that is democracy thwarted. (laughs) I mean, the uh, you know, so what I would love to know if anybody is an expert on I don't know if you are uh, minister, but if if there's a uh, an expert on, you know, Democratic Party uh, platform rule. Uh, you know, parliamentary procedure that that is just fascinating to me. That through his charisma and strength of voice, the mayor, my mayor, Mayor of Los Angeles, Villaraigosa, just went. It has been adopted. Like, really? So somebody somewhere is going to have to protest, and I guarantee you, people protested. And then, uh, you know, they pro- they protested, and then, and then what? Nobody. They're like, thanks very much. We appreciate your protest. We'll call you next year. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, So yeah. what? Did, so, but you, interestingly, you would have been one of the no's. Uh, absolutely, and I, and and I'll tell you why. Um, as as somebody who often does weddings and funerals to a mixed group of people. Um, never really knowing what faith tradition is being represented. Um, what, do they blindfold I, you to walk into the hall? I don't understand. <laughs> well, I, all by way of saying, not everybody there might be a Western Judeo. Oh, not just the bride and groom, but all the participants there, all the witnesses. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And, and, and in trying to extend a sensitivity to other faith traditions that might be in the room, um, you know, I, I try to tailor what I do and what I say um, to that sensitivity. And in a, in a room full of people like the DNC and the RNC, uh, but particularly in the DNC, I, you know, th- there's a diversity of faith traditions being represented there. And when you use the word God, which is such a heavily laden word. Are you sure you're a minister? <laughs> I'm not convinced. You know, it's uh, I, I, I personally. This is only me. This is only me. But I know a lot of my colleagues also ex- try to extend the same kind of sensitivity. Um, when you're speaking to a group, you know, that might be full of atheists or Shintos or Confucianists or Buddhists or pagans, Wiccans, um, or people of no faith tradition at all. To but there, but the the language of the platform said to make the most of their God-given potential. So the the direct object there being specific to the individual and whoever. I mean, I guess if you're an atheist, you'd be like, I don't have a god, so you know, so I can't go to my own derived potential. Um, well, I mean, when when someone says the word God to you, I'm sure you know a a a whole lifetime reservoir of of images and thoughts and feelings come to you that that form whatever your vision of God is, and that that's such an intimately personal thing. Um, that I, you know, I, I personally would have been privy to taking the strong stand to to honor the diversity of faith in this country, uh, which does not always subscribe to the Western Judeo-Christian God, especially in the United States, and just left it out. Um, I, I, I honestly didn't think it was as big a deal leaving it out. Do you think um, if you put it to a majority vote to uh, all registered Democrats, it would have uh, passed to get it put back in there? That's a really good yes, <laughs> the answer is yes. Of course it would. There's a majority of uh, majority of you know. There's still a there's still a Christian majority in this country. I'm pretty. I, I feel confident oh, saying absolutely, Abs- absolutely. Even in I, even I, in uh, the Democratic Party, of which I'm a you know member. Oh, as, as am I. Um, though I don't broadcast that in my church, um, I am. And and uh, it, it it just seemed like 
I, I was proud that it seemed to me that they were taking the stance to to honor um, you know religious diversity in leaving the word God out because I I really think it's it's a very heavy word um, and then to sort of turn around and 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 put it back in um, so quickly and and for what seemed to me to be reasons stemming out of pressure. Um, Well, I would agree with you there, that instead of having um, the conviction to put it in in the first place, doing it in response to political pressure is uh, an unfortunate – you know, it's it's unfortunate that 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 would – that that language would have to be tinged with the possibility that the the reason it's there is because it was being used – its absence was being absence was being used against him. So, all right. Well, I, I do you have any other thoughts about the convention? Because there there is an eight five nine number calling that has been trying real hard to get through that I want to get to. Okay, I, and I, I don't want to take up their time. I, I I simply leave you with this, and and maybe this is a point for further discussion um, in your program. The how one reconciles um, a lot of the religious language that that we hear, um, particularly from a more conservative theological point of view. Um, and and issues of of Jesus' social gospel, which I think were beautifully articulated in in some of the speeches at the DNC this week, uh, particularly by by Sister um, and by Ms. Warren last night. Um, I, I I struggle with those things in conversations with with my own congregation, and I've got a broad sweep of very staunch conservative Republicans to very very liberal left anchored Democrats. Uh, and and we all struggle with that. How how we how as people of faith we articulate our faith beliefs in a political spectrum. Um, and and oftentimes those those two things our, our our political convictions and Jesus' social gospel seem to come to loggerheads with one another. Um, and and those are some of the tough discussions we have here. So I, I, I don't know if, if folk want to chime in on, on if that's been difficult. Well, on Twitter, there's been a lot of, you know, uh, I would say, you know, uh, maybe people know that I'm, I'm a Democrat or whatever, so that's the, the majority of folks I get on my, my Twitter site. But, but a lot of people talk very, you know, forcefully about the separation of church and state. And of course, there's, you know, lots of arguments this way and that way about, about things. But I, I you know... I, I, I feel like sometimes – I remember Herman Cain was talking about in the election, like we need to have a sense of humor in this country. And it was all well and good except that nobody could take him seriously as a candidate. Um, not nobody, but I mean he you – know, most, most – uh, you know, he was kind of drummed out of there. Uh, he had other foibles and things. But, but that, that idea that like, man, can't we just relax sometimes? And, and can't, can't the word um, – can't in a secular world – the the use of, I mean I I like Bill Maher I think Bill Maher is really smart and really funny a lot of times sometimes he's not funny at all but um, his he's so vehemently uh, atheist I mean I guess if you're an atheist you're an atheist but he, but he sort of like goes way out of his way to to try and beat up anybody and everybody who might you know deign to use the word God in in a conversation that it, it almost undermines to me the the um, the the force of the argument about letting about letting people do their thing and letting a, a kind of secular government who, that looks after everybody equally, you know, regardless of their beliefs and so so forth. You know, it, it, it kind of undermines that. It's that Shakespeare phrase about thou doth protesteth too much. You know, and and um, I keep you know I'm waiting for the the fourth act conversion thing with 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 Bill Maher. But for for me, I. 
I was very uncomfortable with the idea of God in politics for most of my life. I felt like the God was used, if not God, the idea or the 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 language, the vocabulary was used uh, in a punitive way. It was used in a bullying way. It was used to uh, stifle open conversation. It was used to marginalize people. I just I just really resented it. But now I feel like I feel like you know. Language is hard and there are certain ephemeral feelings or feelings of wanting to belong to a, a, something bigger than ourselves that, that the word God can, can actually be applied across a huge spectrum. And as long as it's – I mean to me, their God, the word there in that party platform thing is, is a serious uh, sort of context-setting use of the word. And I'm personally – given that most likely a, a majority of the people who are card-carrying members of, of the party would, would assent to it. I feel like to have the good, smart, patient people who find their way into a, a, a party platform, um, you know, dial, you know, um, uh, architect session, you know, where they're, where they're designing it, um, you know, you can do yourself out. You can be too smart. You can be too careful. You can be too politically correct, and you can end up sort of distancing yourself from the constituents that you're that you're speaking to. So, representatives, I think, need to remember that that their views are really important, but that they also have to, um, you know, acknowledge that they're representing people who. who May have a particular persuasion and, and include them. So I, I it's I just find it's so funny that I'm arguing that because I the, the rest of my life I would have wanted no God in any sort of political context. But in this one, having one small paragraph that's as you know kind of non-threatening as that one is, and even like trying to be inclusive, except for maybe atheists um, who should be included, of course. I don't know. I find myself thinking I, – I'm feeling queasy about the Democrats not having done that. And I loved that Mayor Villaraigosa was pinned for a, for a second. I think that you know the the utter um, – uh, the, the irrelevance of the party platforms is just brought right to the fore. And and people, yeah. you know, and and most people don't even know how their party platforms work. They don't even know there is a platform that you can get a PDF and read it. And and by the way, the GOP platform is much better presented, just you know, aesthetically and the way it's kind of, you know, they, I think they did a a, a, a more a, a linear, straightforward, easy to grasp. Ver I mean, I disagree with most of it, but but uh, you know, I'm not sure why we don't have different fonts and colors in in the Democratic Party, but. <laughs> But anyway, so a last thought. I, mean, I lost that uh, that eight two nine or whatever it was. Uh, Erico calling. So any last thoughts before I jump into Clinton? Um, only, only I I think you changed my mind. <laughs> really? With well, with the fact that you pointed at you. I mean, you said I I don't want to misquote you, but you talked about patient, smart people, um, which you know the, the lack of them seems to be part of the the origin of why you're doing this show in the first place, and I really appreciate that. Um, Sweet. But, well, I, you know, I, I, my feeling is that we're not um, – the point of the show isn't to change people's minds. I think it's a lot easier to have civil discussion if you're not trying to convert. Uh, there's a religious word, but um, but are really trying to share. Right. And yet, so, and look at and look at what happens. You uh, you, you you might have been uh, you thinking might have been adjusted temporarily. You'll talk to somebody else if you're like me. My wife is always saying you agree with whoever the last person you talked to was, and I'm like, no, I just can see their point of view. I think you're 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 absolutely right in the in the use of the word there uh, before before God given. Um, 
it was was a smart choice. And if you and if you read it and interpret it the way you just articulated it to me, um, I'm I'm absolutely on board with that. And then I I, I could get on board. With I that. wonder if you could put like in parentheses or not with their god or not. <laughs> uh, you know, you put an asterisk, and if you look down to the footnotes, you're like atheist. Please understand that we in no way mean to offend or uh, alienate you from the party platform. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much for calling from Jersey. I hope it's cooled off there. When I was there, it was uh, too hot to handle. Yeah, it's pretty humid. But listen, it, I, I love what you're doing, and uh, you've been an intimate part of my family for the past 12 years with a certain trio of films you did, and uh, we we rejoice in your presence in our house every year. So thank you, and keep up everything that you're doing. Thank you, Minister. Tell me your first name again. Oh, it's Sean. Minister Sean. Oh, yeah, that was a tough one for me. <laughs> Minister Sean, thank you for the call. Thank you for the compliments and good words, and uh, and I look forward to having you uh, participate on the show uh, often in the time to come. All right, I've got my 859 number I get to answer. Who might it be? Hello, and thank you so much for your patience and calling back. Who is this? Uh, this is uh, Tom Vreeland. Um, we um, we had a, uh, a conversation early a.m. on September 5th. Um, we were we were actually talking about the very same topic you were you're talking about with uh, the word God in the Democratic platform. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you remember. But yeah, yeah, of course, I remember. Okay. I have total recall. <laughs> Good, <laughs> much better than me. Then, um, <laughs> first of all, I, I I'm honored uh, that you asked me to call back, um, and um, I I am also honored that you that you were doing this radio program. It's um, it's good to have civil discussion. Um, there's uh, an old adage, two things that you don't talk about, uh, especially with strangers, is religion and politics. Yep, yep. And, at and the dinner table. Both, and both civilly. So, so yep. thank you for that. I never understood. I mean, I understand it because people can't control themselves. But the idea at the dinner table, which is one of the few times that everyone's sitting and they're meant to be calm and where those ideas should be allowed to be, because in church you're not supposed to push back necessarily. Schools orchestrated in a certain way. Like we, we really need space to talk about about politics and religion, or else you know we're just going to keep making the same mistakes we we make and not getting closer to um, understanding each other. So okay, so what is on your mind today? Well, um, I, one, I I wanted to um, I. I wanted to kind of carry on the conversation that we were having on Twitter. Um, I, I don't know how much you want to um, to recap what what we discussed for listeners that uh, that weren't following on Twitter. That well, time. Go, go ahead and go ahead and encapsulate it if you can, and I'll supplement it if I think uh, you're missing something. Um, it, well, essentially, what we were what we were discussing was how important is it to have any particular word, uh, but especially the word God, and our conversation was that the majority of the Democratic uh, uh, and Republican parties are Judeo-Christian, and my, uh, my debating point was that the word God is important because it represents the majority of the voters since we're part of a republic. Um, now the the last caller um, that uh, Minister Sean that you just had on, um, you know his viewpoint is to ensure that um, that that no one feels excluded from the platform, and that's a, that's a, a valid point. But I think what we were talking about on Twitter was there there's a very fine line where you go from inclusion to exclusion. And um, I, you know your follow-on questions um, as I would as I would make my points, and you would either counter or agree. 
um, were were excellent in that, you know, it, where is this fine line? And uh, I think we're we're at a point now where we can see that there there was a shift in the Democratic platform. We still have some argument as to whether or not it was intentionally excluded. Uh, the, the word God was ex- intentionally excluded or not. Um, especially you replaying the uh, the voting process. Um, I agree with you. I think um, I don't think that was a two thirds majority. To me, that uh, oh, there's no that, way. There's absolutely okay. no way. I mean, he would even, you know, I he would ha- at the very least he would have to acknowledge. Mayor Villaraigosa would have to acknowledge that that he did what he thought was right, but there's no way that he could say that there's a two-thirds majority. No way. Zero. Yeah, I mean, that was that was 50-50 at best. Um, and, um, yeah. But I have a, one uh, one person on Twitter wrote, uh, ColtsGal72 wrote, uh, my question is, why all the booing when they were proposing to reinstate God in Jerusalem? And I think it's important to understand that they the people weren't booing God. They were booing a fall, a, a a a sort of miscarriage of parliamentary justice, if you will, um, I think is a fair. You know, they they felt strongly about it because of their their feelings about the likely the word God being included, but they weren't they weren't booing God directly. I don't think. I I don't think so either. And and I'm a Republican, and I'm also also a Christian. And um, I, you know, as, as much as as men, many of my uh, fellow Republicans are jumping on this as yet another you didn't build this moment um i don't see the i don't see that um that vote as so much someone voting against god i think they were voting on you know they were they were upset that here we had already had our platform and well, i don't know if i agree with you on that one i think they i think no i think that the people voting uh, not to include it, were voting not to include it because they didn't think God should be in the platform. I mean, I, I don't think that they were voting because, on principle, you shouldn't change something after the fact. I, I think that they that they were upset that, you know, that on the face of it, they, what they wanted, you know, they, I think they were happy that it wasn't included and they didn't think it should be included. And, you know, listen, it was thousands of people, so who knows what reason they individually had for it, but I would think probably the, the two strongest ones are they felt that God has no place in politics and uh, you shouldn't just put God in there in order to appease, uh, you know, poli- you know, uh, political pressure either from the media or from the the opposition. So I, I would think those are the two primary reasons that people were were booing. And, and but I think, you know, the and 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 then the idea of like, you know, it's not fair. It's not fair to say the rules require two thirds, and when it's clearly fifty fifty, oh great, two thirds have been doing it. Move along, thanks very much. It's like that uh, that game show, you know, Joker, Joker, and a triple thinker, and they like hustle the guy off the stage real quick, you know. So well, I, I, absolutely, and I, and I think you know I, why bother even having a vote if you have already made your decision on on what the you know on what on ultimately what you're going to do. It, it just doesn't seem to be. Uh, well, that's the that's the thing that um, the you know the mayor felt like it was a the fact that they were doing it and the fact that he was allowing the rules to be suspended was clearly in the best interest of the party, and that that would be transparently clear to everyone in the hall. And so right. it's in the best interest, I would think, he was thinking, uh, for everyone to have a you know, virtually unanimous 
kind of opinion about it so that, you know, none of the talking head class and none of the, uh, the, the opponents could say, they could say, well, it was a, it was an oversight. Clearly, as soon as we looked at it together as a whole party, we jumped in with it. The fact that it was, he was sort of stunned into, into realizing that, no, there's a, there's a, there's a pretty healthy split, even split, at least in that hall and probably around the, the country between people thinking that, you know, that should be in there, that shouldn't be in there. I mean, I, I don't think if it would have been included in the first place, anybody would have noted. I mean, anybody would have cared. I think, you know, maybe a small majority, a small minority of people might have thought, you know, this is outrageous. But if it was that subtle, I think it just would have, would have gone, gone by. So I don't know. I don't well, know. I think you're right, but you know, it, there was a there was a moment where you know uh, Dick Durbin was in uh, was in a heated discussion, and as much as I don't agree with with, um, with his politics, he was right. His his comment, and of course, I'm I'm paraphrasing, was that you know the the Republicans don't own a monopoly on the word God. And they don't, and I and I think that that's something that um, both sides need to get off their you know their high horse, if you will, and recognize that very little is different between the two the two parties as far as the American voters are concerned. There there are some ideolo- ideological differences, but you know a, there would be no denying that there's as many many Republican Judeo-Christians as there are Democratic Judeo-Christians. It's a majority in the country. And Let me, uh, uh, let me read you a, a couple of thoughts from some of the Twitter followers at the moment. Uh, Jason Swank, who's a, a kind of a loyal, I would say, opposition since I'm a Democrat, but he's just loyal conservative voice in the show. So, Sean, we all know there's a strong vocal secular constituency to the Democratic Party. And then he notes that the DNC is playing two fringes of the base until 10 p.m. tonight, which it, I think is uh, a really good point that both parties do it. It's like out of prime time, they, they give – you know the the real extreme viewpoints. Uh, you know a a, a, pla- a, fl- a floor a forum to uh, to express themselves. But then when they want to like appeal to the most amount of people, they they uh, they do the other thing. And then then uh, someone another person here writes uh, Trisha uh, writes uh, why include the word God at all in a political stance? And I think that like gets down to the core of what we're talking about. I mean some uh, some pe- you know. I, because it's what people believe. It's what a lot of people believe. Um, that in in uh, what I mean by they believe that is a lot of people and, and Republicans espouse this day in and day out. Is that you know our, um, our the rights uh, were endowed that we have life, liberty, and the pursuit of property the way it was originally written, but the, the pursuit of happiness were endowed by our Creator. So somebody has just tweeted they should have used the word Creator in there. But but I think that um, you know. In some way, acknowledging um, a, a faith that is shared among a majority of the community um, is is I think felt positively by by those people, and and uh, so that, that but you know, huh? I can just hear I can argue both sides of this, um, right? Well, and and that's a, that's what makes it such a heated debate is that. Uh, that there, there's room on both sides here to, to argue it. There, if, if it was such a black and white issue, um, you wouldn't be carrying uh, now three days after the event occurred, and and trying to get the pulse of what what's really happening. Well, you know so, what? This is a good se- segue for me because I actually think God. 
Uh, and it might have been easier to answer the question, why shouldn't it be included? And, and the reason – that's an easy answer. It shouldn't be included to the extent that it is alienating for a lot of people and that you know because there are strong beliefs associated with it, that, that it would impinge itself. Those beliefs would impinge themselves on, on uh, a, a fairer application of rules for people. So, But um, because it feels good um, and – is 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 another is another answer, but God is something that everybody has a strong feeling about, for or against, and so it's easier to talk about on a radio show and it, and in our conversations. You know what God means to you, why you're offended by other people's uh, religions when it when it you know is a uh, when it's threatening to you and your beliefs and so forth. Uh, Eight four three, I see you calling, so hang in there for with me. But but what we yearn for, what I yearn for, and what what uh, the big criticism coming out of the the GOP co- convention was details like policy details and last night we got this you know 43 minute uh speech by president clinton where it was nothing but a complete deluge of facts and data and details and and that sort of thing so i i think that this that our conversation about god and and how and if and when it um the word uh should be included uh in in our political documents going forward is, is one that we should we continue. I think I sort of clumsied it up a little bit, but I appreciate your call. And, and, and oh, well, no, thank you so much for having me back. Uh, and I look forward to uh, future movies from you as well. My, <laughs> my wife and kids love your work, um, not not just the, uh, the Lord of the Rings cycle, but pretty much everything you've done. Uh, I think we're both close to the same age, so uh, growing up and, wa- and watching you, it's uh, kind of, you know, well, I appreciate those good words, and I and I really hope that you stay an active part of this uh, this conversation, and we'll we'll keep trying to make Absolutely. good movies at the same time. You have a convert, even though I'm on on the on the opposing side, you know, side of the political spectrum. Um, you We're all citizens. We're all fighting to make a better country. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you, Sean, and uh, and good luck with your with your program, and much future. Thanks, my friend. For Bye for Bye. now. All right, eight four three. Who are you? Hello. Hello. Who's this? Oh, I'm, um, hello? Hey, you've got Sean Aston. You're on live. What's your name? My name is Rachel. I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. Hi there, Rachel. Um, I'm in a very conservative, I'm a liberal Democrat in a very conservative place. Um, let me turn this down. I can't hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely always, uh, always got to turn down the other, the other, um, okay. boy, there's some really good Twitter my stuff happening. Go ahead. Um, my concern here is I am educated political scientist. My degree is in political science. My husband is too, which makes our house a very interesting place. But what my concern here is about the separation of church and state. When I am a, I'm also a Christian, however, I also, I have a very hard time with God and politics together, like the same way you described your feelings. Yeah. It has to affect the way you vote, but shouldn't it only affect the way you vote? Isn't that the way that God should come into politics? It's wonderful to have Christianity in our government, in our, we have it in what is the motto, the country's motto, in God we trust, all these things. But that's wonderful while your religion is the primary religion. But what happens when that changes? The majority, uh, the fastest growing religion in the world right now is Muslim, is Islam. So what happens 
when the day comes that the United, majority of people in the United States are no longer Christian. Now they become Muslim. So as a Christian, are you going to be willing to forfeit your rights in the same way you're asking other people now to forfeit theirs? Are people being are we are we still talking about the party platform language? Yes. Are, are people being asked to forfeit their I think, rights? I don't think they are. I, I don't think they are straight out. I think we're. I, you have to remember where I'm coming from. It's slippery, slippery slope. You're saying it's a slippery slope. When you start doing that, then it's a it's a thread that can be pulled on. And I mean, I think there's I think there's validity to that. Well, you know, one one person just wrote in on Twitter. A majority rule. Uh, Sean Aston fan or Linda wrote in. A majority rule can become tyranny of masses. Not believing in God, not equal to being un-American. And I I really do. Um, that resonates with me, the idea that people use God and faith and religion and Christianity as a way of pummeling somebody into feeling that they're not, uh, they're not American. And I, and I, you know. Exactly. When did, when did, well, my question is constantly, when did God and the military become connected? When did wars become godly? Wow. Well, if you want to talk about what you, what you have to say to get people to go fight. And be willing to, in fact, to lose their lives. I think all throughout human history, um, you know, God has been invoked. I'm like the only liberal in a family of extremely conservative Christian evangelicals. I don't know where what happened to me, how I got off in my own little thing, but I, there's a lot of guilt to a person here in this place. Yeah, not being conservative well at least it's at least it's visible at least it's very visible where you are well a lot of set a lot of a lot of different issues kind of swirling at the moment there in our conversation but the the one question i asked on twitter was does the word god in a platform correlate to doing godly um works through your policy because no, I would it right. correlates to votes. It correlates to votes. Well, okay, well yeah. Votes of people that associate themselves with God. If we put God in our platform, then we don't look so bad to conservatives. If we take it out of the platform, then we do. And Republicans can say, oh, look, they took God out of their platform. Well, aren't you presenting a very oh, practical argument here? So, so if we, if, if, if each platform declares fa- fealty uh, to God, then that's sort of off the table, and now let's look at what the policies are. But if one person says that – if one party claims that they're the party of God and the other one totally limits it, then you know, for somebody who might be on the fence but is a person of faith, they might think, well, you know what? I better, I better vote with the people who are confident enough to recognize God in their platform. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, probably. I'm sure. It's a marketing ploy. That's what – Wow! I just could hear. I just heard heads explode. (laughs) Uh, It can be. Can I? Can I try and put some? No, but it. It certainly can be a very cynical way to um, suppress people's critical thinking skills. Um, But it's also a very genuine way for a lot of people to, uh, you know, to to reinforce their. You know, it's hard. It's hard to make a difference. It's hard to push your agenda. It's hard to, you know, get people to agree with you and and to spend money in the ways you think it should be spent to help the most amount of people. I mean, I think it's bad when we go out of our way to impugn each other's intentions. 
I mean, you can go after certain groups within a larger group and say this is this is a, a very uh, mercenary group of people who will do whatever they can to get elected either for greed or for whatever um, – for whatever. But, but I – you know, I, I take your point. I take your point. I think that people um, – that's not the reason to include it in the Democratic Party platform. That's probably the reason it was reintroduced so quickly. Uh, so I, I, I disagree with that. But the net effect of including it in the party platform, it seems to me, is not ha- that harmful. Oh, I would agree with you completely there. Um, and I've seen – I see why they did it. it I'm, I agree with you. There's no way that was stupid. It was – Unbelievably ridiculous that it was they declared it two thirds, but I understand why they did. Here's another tweet from uh, I don't I want to say it right. Lolvin Lovin Oh, I can't. It's L O L V I N C I T O M N I A. Tomnia Sitomnia Lovin Lovin Sitomnia. Okay, I don't know what it means. It's probably uh, it's probably very clear. It's like a license plate game. But anyway, writes uh, at host Vox Popular. It's a fact. It's a fact that the Judeo-Christian beliefs are the true origins or the concepts of human rights. I almost can't even read the, the spirit of what that says because the word fact, beliefs, and true just seem to be like have a wrecking ball attached to them. Um, that's a little bit too sure. I've never been real happy with anyone that's too sure of themselves. <laughs> you know, it's like in the um, – oh. Well, Victimania, so, I would love to see you clarify that tweet. It's hard to communicate in a tweet. So I'd love for, yeah. for that person to call in uh, right now and or to offer a, a, a refined tweet, um, you know, or anybody to, who wants to defend that, that concept that it's a fact that Judeo Christian beliefs are the true origins of the, that makes it sound like, um, you know, there's, there's, there's only one God, you know, there's no God but Allah, yeah. or, you know, this is the one true God and Christian God. I mean, you know, we, we, we start to go into the shoals here, but, um, oh. well, I'll let you go so that so you can take another call, but all right. I want to get into Clinton's speech anyway, but okay. Thank you for, um, listen, you and the other callers today are really forcing me to think. And, and, uh, and when I have to think out loud on my feet, sometimes it's not as pretty as it can be, but I, I think it's, uh, certainly meaningful and hopefully useful to people as they, you know, develop their, position and their way of communicating about it with others. Well, and thank you for your show and for your work. I've enjoyed it for a long time, and thank you very much. I've, I've enjoyed talking to thank you. Thank so you so much. Take my opinion. Okay, thank you. Thank no, no, you. I'm, it's good to hear it, and good luck with you and your and your family. Tell them all that I, uh, that I love them, and I hope they listen to you closely. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, we have a break coming up, what, like right this second? Whenever. Okay, coming up with the first break. I want to get into – I want to start my uh, – I want to start the real guts of the show now. We've, we've, we just uh, – that conversation about God was, was really cool. But I, I want to I get into this. Bill Clinton – President Clinton gave a speech last night, the keynote speech, and it was a barn burner. And one of the things that I loved was that he offered lots of details. Lots of facts, and I've uh, I've been sent some some great fact checking uh, articles from factcheck.org and from uh, a couple of the others that that try and um, you know uh, you know pu- puncture it a little bit. But I thought that they're a great way for us to. So I'm just going to start hammering. I spent a lot of time, a couple hours last night, clipping them into chunks so that a lot of the applauding and a lot of the other uh, bellicose stuff was sort of taken out of there, and we can get down to some of the some of the things he makes. So let's let's play a couple of those before we go to break. Oh, hello. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, here we go. 
that we can build a new American dream economy driven by innovation and creativity. A new American dream economy. Look at that language. A new American dream economy. New American dream. If you, what's, what, do you want to live the American dream? We've all, we, I believe in the American dream. Now we're going to have a new American dream. And that new American dream has a very specific economy attached to it. I mean, it's masterful, really. Let's, let's hear what it, let's, and the word share. The word share, if you did one of those, uh, word jumble things and said, what's the word that was most used in the speech? The word share. Shared economy. Uh, shared prosperity, which, you know, conservatives, I think, would read as like socialism, <laughs> you know, but uh, but he's he's basically saying that we're all in this together. So let's let's listen to it again. That we can build a new American dream economy driven by innovation and creativity, by education and yes, by cooperation. Huh. All right. So there's a good one. Let me listen to uh, this is a slightly longer one. Let's play this out and see what we got in Tampa a few days ago. We heard a lot of talk all about how the president and the Democrats don't really believe in free enterprise and individual initiative, how we want everybody to be dependent on the government, how bad we are for the economy. This Republican narrative, its alternative universe, says that... There you go. This alternative universe. You know, if you watch Jon Stewart... Uh, he was, um, you know, they talked about uh, a President Obama that only Republicans can see with, a, with Clint Eastwood's empty chair. And, and they're, they're, they're really starting to, I think this is going to have traction over the next two months, that there is a Republican narrative. This is, I'm talking about Democratic perspective right here. That there's a Democratic, uh, that there's a, a President Obama that is pure fiction created by the Republicans. That's a really clever thing to uh, to do. One, they really believe it. Uh, Democrats really believe it. Um, but two, it's a way to start framing, to, to try and put brackets around anything that uh, Governor Romney or Governor Ryan are going to say. So they're going to say something to you, and now President Clinton and the other Dems, uh, including John Stewart, who I, I think is a Democrat, but I just watch his show. I always watch his show. But um, – they're going to force you to think, is this the real President Obama that's being described or the fictitious President Obama that we are asserting has been created by the Republicans? It's a really interesting way to say stop being um, – you know, stop letting yourself just be swept along by uh, Republican recitation of facts and concepts and ideas. So is – is there – I guess my question to the audience is – and we're going to go to our first break. 323 uh, That's 323-622-TOAD. Do you think that there are two Obamas, the Obama that the Republicans imagine and the real Obama? Or the Republicans that the – or the Obama that Republicans imagine and the Obama that Obama imagines? <laughs> are there four? Are there three? How many Obamas do you see? We'll see you right after the break. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching.
Stamps.com is a quick and easy way to get postage. Never go to the post office again. Go to Stamps.com, and before you do anything else, you click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in HF to get a very, very special offer for our listeners. That's Stamps.com.
live from the Toad Hop Network studios in Hollywood. This, this is the ToadHopNetwork.com. It's a groovy way of relaxing. Radio worth watching. Radio worth watching. Welcome to hour number two of Fox Populi, a political talk show for people who spend more time managing their lives than their point of view. Here's your host, Sean Astin. Hello, everyone, and we're back. My name is Sean Astin. You're on the Toad Hop Network, and you're listening to Vox Populi, voice of the occasionally interested people. The call-in number live is 323. I like using that voice. Live! Whoa, crazy! Sorry. Uh, 323-622-8623. Here is from politifact.com, politifact.com, regarding Bill Clinton's speech last night at the Democratic National Convention. Clinton claimed a victory of sorts comparing job gains under Democratic president versus Republicans. Since since 1961, our private economy has produced 66 million private sector jobs. Uh, So what's the job score, he asks. Republicans, 24 million. Democrats, 42 million, Clinton said. We dug into those numbers and found his statement true. Clinton also said that the stimulus program cut taxes for 95% of the American people. It actually cut taxes for 95% of the American workers. We awarded Clinton a half-true for leaving out that critical qualifier. Clinton addressed recent Republican attacks on uh, changes to welfare. Obama, he said, is not gutting the program's work requirements, as Romney campaign ads have said. Instead, Obama is seeking to state ideas that would increase employment. PolitiFact has looked into the welfare controversy and rated the Romney ad claims pants on fire. Oh, the Romney. Oh, wow. Oh, I was trying to be. I was trying to be fair. The Romney ad, ad claims pants on fire. Wow. So Clinton's three for well, two and a half, two, two and a half for three. Clinton praised Obama for taking a balanced approach to the debt reduction, mentioning the work of the bipartisan Simpson Bowles Commission. I think I'm going to have to read that at some point. Um, which was charged with finding ways to cut the national debt over the long term. Last week, after Republican vice presidential nominee Paul Ryan spoke at the GOP convention, we noted in a story that Ryan criticized Obama for abandoning the commission recommendations, but failed to mention that he himself voted against them. It goes on. I, but that's okay. So I'm just trying to be fair, or uh, somewhat even, but I guess it's not so much. Let's listen to some more President Clinton, and uh, feel free to call in and tell me where he's wrong, or I'm wrong, or anybody's wrong. Tell me where you're right. Every one of us in this room who amounts to anything, we're all completely self-made. We Democrats, we think the country works better with a strong middle class, with real opportunities for poor folks to work their way into it. All right. So it's interesting. You know, they pound the lectern, both sides pound the lectern and say, we believe the country works better with a strong middle class. But they say it like the other one doesn't. So... I'm annoyed now for the rest of the campaign anytime somebody says we believe in a strong middle class as though the other side doesn't believe in a strong middle class. I think it's much fairer to say we believe that a strong middle class is achieved by doing this as opposed to that. So it's a question of emphasis. With a relentless focus on the future, with business and government actually working together. to Business and government working together. That seems different to me from uh, the Republican concept of uh, of running the government like a business because it suggests that there's a unique and different role from the government that uh, can cooperate with business. To promote growth and 
broadly shared prosperity. Broadly shared prosperity. There it is again. Shared prosperity. Uh, okay, here's another one. I just love this. I love it. You see, we believe that we're all in this together is a far better philosophy than you're on your own. Here's, here's the thing for me. When I really think about the concept of stimulating the economy by lowering taxes, which Clinton eviscerates later, at least from a Democratic perspective, um, I wonder how long it's going to take. And if you, uh, if you, if, if certain key systems aren't in place to protect uh, people from falling into poverty or you know to keep education flowing, if if, if certain programs, social programs, are uh, cut too much um, while we wait for the new growth to start, where where are, isn't like crime going to go up, and uh, and isn't. Uh, it, it, isn't our productivity as a country going to go down? That's the, you know I would love for somebody to call in and, and disabuse me of that idea. Okay, let's see the next one. Uh, okay, here he goes. Since 1961, for 52 years now, the Republicans have held the White House 28 years, the Democrats 24. I think this is the in thing those 52 said he got right. years. Our private economy has produced 66 million private sector jobs. So what's the job score? Republicans, 24 million. Democrats, 42. All right. So I think that one of the things that made Democrats just swell with pride and gratitude and almost cry and tremble was that finally – some Democrat, you know, President Clinton, is taking is, – is planting a foot in the ground and saying here are facts that agree with us and own them. And he, and he gives you – he gives the rank-and-file Democrat ammo to go out into the world and repeat. And Republicans, I would say, on the average, Republicans are – at least the Republicans that I come across – are better at providing uh, data uh, to support their arguments. They're better practiced at it. And Democrats oftentimes, in my personal experience, uh, are, are operating from an emotional place. And so what Clinton does so amazingly is he speaks from this you know, southern charm – Oh shucks, kind of I, I can I, you know I I relate to you way and from an emotional way and then he kind of builds in these little ideas. Democratic administrations have had have created more jobs since the '60s than Republicans, and Politifact says that's true. So you can just keep you know that's that's when somebody kind of hits you with one thing, the Democrats can hit back with that idea. Let's listen to some more. It turns out that advancing equal opportunity and economic empowerment is both morally right and good economics. So, okay, so there are two um, – I would call them code words, only they aren't really code words. They're just they, – they are what they purport to be. So let's listen again. It turns out that advancing equal opportunity 
advancing equal opportunity. Advancing equal – the language is just so amazing. Advancement talks about pro- – it connotes progress and growth and, and forward moving and it, it sounds like uh, – I don't know if it's quite you know, capitalist language, uh, you know, language of economics, but it certainly feels positive and not like you're arguing to uh, give people handouts. And economic empowerment – Economic empowerment. Economic empowerment. You know, somebody should. If I was a little bit smarter, I had more time, or a good producer on this show, we'd be able to pull out the buzzwords from both sides and weigh them against each other. I mean, what is the what is the Republican uh, corollary to economic empowerment? You know, handout. You know, entitlement. I don't know. Let's listen to some more. I love this. I could do this all day. Is both morally right? and good economics. Why? Because poverty, discrimination, and ignorance restrict growth. Now there is a, the, I think every Democrat in America should grab onto that one. That is a truism that I'm pretty sure everyone agrees on. I'm pretty sure Republicans would agree on this 100%. You know, to what end or would be the argument and how to fix it is the argument. But listen to this. This is so, such an important citizen concept to get because poverty discrimination and ignorance restrict growth poverty ignorance and discrimination restrict growth poverty discrimination and ignorance restrict growth if that's true which i believe it is then a core part of your philosophy for governing has to be how are you going to protect against those things? How are you going to prevent it? How are you going to support, you know, knowledge and education and tolerance? Just love that. I might, I might make that my ringtone. Uh, okay, so here's another one. That investments in education and infrastructure and scientific and technological research increase growth. Okay. They increase good jobs and they create new wealth for all the rest of us. Create new wealth. That's an idea. That if you fix those things, it creates new wealth. Interesting. Interesting. As opposed to lowering taxes on the uh, the upper income folks, which will grow the economy. So I remember being at the carnival, and you have the squirt gun, and you squirt into the clown's mouth. And oh no, wait. There's the yeah, and the balloon blows up. Or no, I want the, the what's the one where you squirt in and the 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 horses or the dogs or whatever are racing across. So does lowering taxes get the dog closer to the finish line or improving education? And how how are you going to pay for those things? I don't know. I like it. Though I often disagree with Republicans, I actually never learned to hate them the way the far right that now controls their party, seems to hate our president. Seems. Seems. Uh, president Clinton has a unique way of totally hammering you but leaving a little escape patch. You know, you hate our president, seems like. <laughs> um, I got to say that I've seen a lot of hate going both ways. But if I had to pick a winner... The hate talk seems stronger on the extreme right. That's me. 
But I know we could spend hours and hours just showing the hate talk on the extreme left. Maybe it's just that it hurts more since I'm on the left side of the aisle when I hear it. And I'm a little bit more, um, you know, it doesn't hurt as much when I hear it from the left. But, but anyhow, the, the um, so useless. And if at the very least that kind of a statement from a party leader can come out and say, you know, this group hates our president. I mean, he's basically calling him unpatriotic, which really, I'm sure, chaps the hide of uh, a Tea Party uh, person is for President Clinton to call them unpatriotic. Because if you hate your president for no other reason than you just hate him, it's your right. It is your it is your right, but it doesn't seem very patriotic. It's your right to burn the flag. It's your right to disagree with wars. It's your right to protest. You know, um, but if you just flat out hate the president who was overwhelmingly elected, then you're not being very patriotic. It's an interesting idea. Um, I'm not reading my Twitter feed right now, but I'll bet it's blowing up. Uh, okay, hold on. Here we go. When times are tough and people are frustrated and angry and hurting and uncertain, the politics of constant conflict may be good. But what is good politics does not necessarily work in the real world. What works in the real world is cooperation. So this is the big thing. People, and I, I see this on the Twitter feed, when I talk to people, people feel as though uh, President Obama's assertion that he was willing to cooperate is just a fallacy. That President Obama was never willing to cooperate. And I think when he took office and the Democrats controlled both chambers in the government – I think that he was willing to listen a little bit, but I know that he did say, you know, to, you know, his uh, defeated opponent, John McCain, you know, we won. <laughs> and so, you know, we get to, we get to choose, which I really understood when he said it because it didn't seem right that, uh, that Senator McCain was sort of sucking some of the oxygen out of his, his first few days. Um, but, it certainly wasn't the language of inclusion and listening. Having said that, and you'll, we'll hear it later, and I've, every single Democrat I've talked to, uh, I don't think I actually play the quote of uh, the, when, when President Clinton is talking about Senator McConnell um, saying that it's job one to get rid of President Obama. More important than finding, you know, obviously the idea being from the senator's perspective that the, the sooner you do that, the sooner you can protect everything. Um, you know Medicare and Medicaid and social like all all the all the normal uh, usual suspects, but but um, but I guess when it gets right down to it, people have to make certain choices. Do you believe that one side or the other is more willing to cooperate, or do you believe both sides are incapable of cooperation? Interestingly, President Clinton, in a hyperpartisan moment of uh, attack is talking about how important it is to cooperate. So it's uh, – I don't want to say it's disingenuous, but it's, it's certainly uh, – there's certainly an irony there. Um, it's a statesmanlike thing to say. It's the truth. The cooperation is what moves things forward. Um, compromise isn't – it shouldn't be a dirty word. I mean it depends on what you compromise about. If you compromise on your values or your 
your ethics, then you know that's bad. But if you compromise because you want something and they want something, and the only way way for everybody to get a little something is to compromise, and compromise can be a great thing. So um, it's an interesting rhetorical uh, thing that he does there. Let's listen to this next bit. Look at his record. He appointed Republican secretaries of defense, the Army, and transportation. Okay, this is the point that uh, Clinton is making that o- o- Obama is in fact, uh, willing to compromise and cooperate. So let's hear it again. Look at his record. He appointed Republican secretaries of defense, the Army, and transportation. He appointed a vice president who ran against him in 2008. And he trusted that vice president to oversee the successful end of the war in Iraq and the implementation of the Recovery Act. That's that's a big thing. Uh, the... Uh the end of the war, the end of the Iraq war. Nobody seems to be talking about it, but uh, the end of the Iraq war and uh, the implementation of the Recovery Act. Implementation of the Recovery Act. So I know that uh, conservatives think that that was a catastrophe, but um, it's certainly those two facts: uh, successfully concluding the Iraq war and successfully implementing, whether you agree with it or not, the uh, the Recovery Act, are two massive achievements from a Democratic perspective that most Democrats forget to mention. And uh, Vice President uh, Biden is a whipping boy for his gaffes, but and Democrats are terrified of even invoking his name. But here, President Clinton is standing him up, standing up and uh, and and lauding him for uh, doing more as a vice president than most vice presidents get to uh, do. Uh, be put in charge of major, uh, you know things. Okay, here's more of President Obama's willingness to compromise and listen and work with others uh, as espoused by President Clinton. Appointed several members of his cabinet, even though they supported Hillary in the primary. Heck, he even appointed Hillary. <laughs> that was a uh, got a rousing bring the house down kind of a vibe. Um, so, you know, is that enough to kind of uh, – to bolster the argument that Obama really was willing to compromise and, and the, uh, the obstructionist Republicans um, were not? Look, he, rep- he appointed a couple of really uh, key cabinet posts to Republicans and to Democrats who he really disagreed with. Is that enough? Or do you sort of go like, well, yeah, he did that, but – yeah, he did that, but not where it counted. He wanted universal health care, so he wasn't going to compromise on not getting universal health care. But he might have you know, been willing to adjust language more. Anyhow, uh, let's hear the next one. I am very proud of her. Oh, here's I am proud Hillary. of the job she and the national security team have done for America. There's President Clinton saying another um, accomplishment that Democrats should run on is that the Secretary of State and the national security team have been very effective. So uh, I know that John McCain and uh, Governor Romney and others have said that uh, Obama is leading from behind in uh, you know many places in the Arab Revolution, uh, the Arab Spring, uh, in the Middle East, and also in uh, North Korea and other places, uh, and with Russia. But according to President Clinton, the security team's done a great job. that they have worked together to make us safer and stronger to build a world with more partners and fewer enemies. More partners and fewer enemies. 
there's a there's a probably an objective piece of data there. If we remember back to America's popularity around the world at the end of the George W. Bush administration, um, it was really at an all-time low, um, and it was one of the major tenets of electing you know a new president. Aside from the fact that he was the first president of color, they that he was going to be able to reach out and repair uh, a lot of the damaged relationships that had uh, sort of a lot of the relationships that had been damaged throughout the, the previous eight years. Uh, Mitt Romney calls it an apology tour, and I just hate that. I just hate it. I think it is mean-spirited, disingenuous, false, wrong, bad. I do not think that he apologized for the greatness of our country. He may have apologized for certain things that we've done, but it's sort of a kindergarten 101 rule that apologizing is an important way to get past a problem. So whenever I hear the word apology tour, it just makes me mad. Okay, I'm of course willing to hear that I'm wrong. And, uh, you know, I did listen to his speech in Cairo, I think it was, and other speeches, and he was very self-critical. But the fact is, we're the dominant military in terms of our lethality and our mobility and our, um, you know, and our, our, we don't have the biggest army, but uh, by like six or something like that. But we, but we're, we're the strong, we're the big kid on the block. So if the big kid walks in and says, hey, you know, I was a little bit of a bully in that area, I apologize for it. Doesn't mean he's not the biggest kid in the block anymore. You know, we we need other countries to work with us for our own economic health, which, by the way, is the same thing as our military health. Because without a strong economy, we don't have a strong military. Blood and treasure. Anyhow, uh, let's listen to some more of what President Clinton has to say. I'm gonna. I just. Uh, I do have a Dominic's uh, interview to play, which I'll do in a minute. But I just love this stuff, and I could do it all day long. I'm grateful for the relationship of respect and partnership she and the president have enjoyed and the signal that sends to the rest of the world that democracy does not have a blood have to be a blood sport it can be an honorable enterprise that advances the public interest that is just awesome the fact i mean anybody i worked for hillary clinton you know really campaigned hard for her and there was uh, no love lost between the two campaigns at the end of that primary it was a it was brutal and i went into places i got on planes for for the uh senators campaign at that where there was uh, delegate seatings and and other kinds of environments where there were you know 1500 people in a hall and 200 of them were for hillary and the rest were for president uh senator obama and i was there to boost up the hillary folks and got booed off the stage and you know it was it was and mean it was rough and mean on both sides um but Hillary got behind Barack when uh, he got the nomination. And then she served in his administration, and she's a team player. Uh, and I think she's done a great job being uh, in support of the guy who, you know, emerged victorious over her. And so what President Clinton says about that being an example for the world is just awesome. It really is. It really is an example to the world. That we can have people bloody themselves on the way and then put their arms around each other and and move forward. I, I think that President Clinton makes a great point there. Uh, let's try again. Here's a shorter one. 
President Obama's whole record on national security is a tribute to his strength, to his judgment, and to his preference for inclusion and partnership over partisanship. We need more of it in Washington, D.C. Well, you know, Republicans would say that it's weakness. And President Clinton is saying that uh, when you cooperate and you work with each other uh, and you're inclusive, both of the uh, people in your country and the people that you're you know, making treaties with and so forth, that that is strength. I agree with President Clinton on that. Um, it's funny. He didn't mention the killing of uh, bin Laden, which he was famously uh, – you know, he did that commercial, which I didn't really like, the commercial, the way it, it seemed like – Grandstanding in a way that was unseemly, uh, so I didn't like that commercial, and I said so at the time. But uh, but he doesn't he doesn't mention it here, but he does mention mention his accomplishments, um, and I don't think that Republicans consider um, Obama an accomplished international diplomat. Um, so here we go. There's another one. We all know that he also tried to work with congressional Republicans on health care, debt reduction, and new jobs. And that didn't work out so well. Their number one priority was not to put America back to work. It was to put the president out of work. All right, so we talked about that already. Uh, let's see here. What do we got? In Tampa, the Republican argument against the president re-election was actually pretty simple, pretty snappy. It went something like this. We left him a total mess. He hadn't cleaned it up fast enough, so fire him and put us back in. <laughs> um, a lot of successful people in business have said to me, and I've read in books and you know, I've just experienced Watch River, that uh, in order to be successful, you have to sort of state your intention simply. <laughs> Clinton is so good at that, at reducing things down to a very basic thing. They, the Republicans did in the, uh, con their convention. Um, Talk about how, yeah, it was he inherited a, a, a mess, um, and they, you know, they their point is he's made it worse. And Clinton sort of flips it back around and says, you know, he's not fixing it fast enough, and you know, they convinced me they were honorable people who believe what they've said, and they're going to keep every commitment they've made. We just got to make sure the American people know what those commitments are. That's an interesting thing. Clinton, you know, last night he would say certain things that would get a big applause and a big laugh line, and then he would sort of half serious, like serious if you know him, but also allowing for it. He was like, no, 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 this is serious. This is serious now. Because if you let it be a joke, then it's easy to um, be dismissive. But he was saying, I think he, as much as he does, you have to read between the lines on these things, but as much as he can't stand the opposition, I think he, I think he means it. When he says that he they convinced him that they were honorable, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's being cynical there. I don't really know. What I know is, it's right to acknowledge that people on the other side are honorable. So whether he believes it or not, that's what he says, and you should take someone at their word. Or I guess I suppose, um, but I take him at his word right there. Um, and that they're gonna, and then he does something amazing. He said, "These are honorable people. They're gonna, they're gonna do exactly what they say you're gonna do." And then he tells his people, "You know, do you, uh, you know, you better, better know what that is, and decide if you will like it or not, if you're willing to work for it." In order to look like an acceptable, reasonable, moderate alternative to President Obama, 
they just didn't say very much about the ideas they've offered over the last two years because they want to go back to the same old policies that got us in trouble in the first place. All right. So it goes on. I, I could play. I could just do this for his entire 48. Well, I probably cut it down to about 30 minutes, but uh, I could do that for another 20 minutes. But I'm not going to do it. I'm going to switch now to an interview that I did uh, just before airtime uh, with Pete Dominic. Let me see if I can pull up uh, Pete's Pete Dominic. Um, Wikipedia. He's an American comedian and talk radio uh, personality. And he... Um, Let's see. He's he's got uh, he he performs in colleges. He perform. You, you recognize his face from uh, from appearances on shows. He was uh, famously, I believe, had uh, interviewed. Um, if I'm not mistaken, um, uh, he had interviewed. Let me see here. CNN podcasters and. Um, Rick Sanchez, I believe, he was who got uh, drummed off of his drummed off the network of CNN for making, um, I think, racially insensitive remarks, if I can remember carefully. But I think he was being interviewed by, by Rick. So Rick's a, uh, a kind of a firebrand, very uh, extreme liberal, lefty liberal. Uh, but he happens to have been with his podcast, with his uh, serious radio uh, show. He's been in uh, both the GOP convention. He was there every day. And uh, and now he's been every day at the uh, Democrat convention. So I was uh, lucky enough to interview him for a little bit. Uh, before I do that, I actually want to play. I have um, 626 Vox Talk is a voicemail uh, account associated with the show. And I've been encouraging people to call in and leave messages. Let me play uh, one of the messages that was left uh, today with regard uh, to the Democratic convention. Hold on. Clinton's speech. Well, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, but as he went on, he was on point, very humorous and extremely amusing. Um, he definitely kept my attention. He talked in generalities. He established a vision for the future, um, while completely framing his speech around Obama. So overall, it was a great speech, and I'm definitely looking forward to hearing the rebuttals. Okay, there's one. That was from Roseville, California. And here's one from Auburn, Alabama. Hello, Sean and the rest of the Vox Talk Royals. This is Garth. I just wanted to share my views on the Democratic platform controversy. As a person raised Catholic by a Catholic mother in a house with an atheist father, I couldn't care less if God is mentioned in a political treatise. I also feel that any mention of Jerusalem being the capital of Israel is only pandering to Jewish voters because in the end, we have no say in the politics of the region and how Jerusalem is perceived by the world. That being said, removing those parts, especially in the election year where Republicans are emphasizing their desired connection to a Judeo-Christian God, is just plain idiotic strategy. I'm proud they voted to amend the platform to put these things back in, but realize that this too creates an opening for controversy. Dumb move to remove it. Just dumb. Okay, and then the last one here from San Jose, California. It's long, so I'm going to cut it off after about a, after about 45 seconds. But here, here we go. Hey, Sean, it's Lupe from Northern California, and um, you just tweeted asking what our opinions were about the Democratic National Convention, and I've got so many thoughts running through my head. Um, but I guess first and foremost, it's 
uh, exceeded my expectations. Um, I was really proud of uh, Julian Castro, uh, and he just he touched me just because the situation is very similar to my situation um, as a fellow Latino. And uh, Michelle Obama, she just um, was inspiring. Um, as a woman, as a mom, as a professional, it just also brought me to tears. Sandra Fluke today, she was amazing. Um, I really admire her, her tenacity, her ability to come up and to speak um, after what she had gone through was pretty darn cool. And the last but not least, Clinton, I think he was effective. I think he addressed issues that hadn't been addressed or that had been talked about. I think um, he just addressed the issues um, dead on. Uh, he addressed Medicare. He addressed immigration. He addressed jobs. Um, he addressed education. He addressed the middle class. And uh, from what I hear, I think the teleprompter busted at one point, and so he was going off the cuff. And just to be able to do that and just to be able to put it together, I mean, he was just phenomenal and he was effective and I really hope everyone everyone will have their criticisms of course right but um, I hope they really take it to heart and I really just ultimately hope everyone looks at all of the issues um, and votes their conscience because it's going to make a huge difference I think Sandra Flip made a great point to say there are two different worlds that we could be facing there is what the GOP platform proposes and there is what the Democratic platform proposes and gosh I fear that if we elect the GOP candidates I fear what that's going to mean for me as a woman and as a Latina it just it just terrifies me so um, I'm really glad to see what's going on at the Democratic National Convention I am excited to see what Obama is going to be doing Thursday um, and I look forward to some more good stuff. Yay. All right. Bye. All right. Thank you very much, Lupe. And now I'm going to go to my um, uh, Pete Dominic interview. So uh, you're going to throw up some pictures of him as I go, Johnny? Here we go. Uh, Here we go. All right. We're recording. So, um, so Pete Dominic, am I catching you in North Carolina at this very moment? Yeah, I'm right here in what's called Radio Roshan. There's people mulling around. Uh, some of you recognize, many you don't, but uh, uh, everybody thinks they're important. So, just, yeah, to, just to be clear, he's at the Democratic National Convention. Radio Row, that sounds like kind of pit lane in the in Indy 500. It's like a bunch of people shoulder to shoulder that are all doing radio shows right next to each other. It's, it's sad in a way, but, but that's the way it works. But if I'm a congressman who's trying to get my message out or somebody from the party or whatever, I can just go along, bang, 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 and hit all those different radio stops and, and, and you know, without having to go to different studios and stuff. Absolutely. Your pimp brings you right over, and you, get, you, you, you sit down with just about anybody that will have you. It's funny, too, because you try to get so many senators to come on my radio show, and you don't even hear back from them. But when you're here with a microphone, uh, it's no problem. That's so funny. So, uh, and you were also in Tampa, Florida for the Republican convention, right? I was indeed, yes. So how would you encapsulate that week? Lack of diversity and yeah. threat of a hurricane. I mean, how do I encapsulate that week? 
uh, white men are really boring. <laughs> so, um, white guy after white guy after white guy, and then you know they, they put up every minority they could find. But the fact is, here at the Democratic National Convention, uh, they have no problem finding minorities that want to speak. So it's like shooting fish in a barrel. You take the best black guy, and in the Republican National Convention, you take the black guy. He may not be a great speaker, you know, and it's just, it's just, a, it's a very different situation. They're trying, I mean, the Republican Party is becoming more and more, uh, minimized in terms of who they include, so, uh, it's a, it's, it's tough for them to obviously reach out, so they take whoever they can get, whether or not that person's great. There were a couple of good people, uh, last week. Mia Love was great, but, uh, overall, it was just, uh, you know, uh, Mayor Villagorosa got himself in hot water saying, you know, you can't just put up somebody with a, a Hispanic-sounding last name and, and uh, expect that that means, you know, diversity in your party, But and, and which, is, which is fine to say, except if you're that, you know, Latina, you know, governor in New Mexico or something like that, you, your feeling is like, you know, screw you. How, you know, you can't yeah, tell me. that's true. It's true, but it's him saying it. So it's a little bit different, you know. Uh, but I mean, he was kind of being honest, and honesty will get you in the hot water. So it's a it's a it's a catch twenty two, Sean. You know, so we want our politicians to be honest, and then when they are, we get offended. And I mean that, you know, Republican or Democrat, they say things that they mean. Todd Aiken meant what he said. Uh, we're happy he was honest, aren't we? Well, I, you know, I still don't understand that. Uh, that, like, the science, not, you know, I mean, I still just it's so that was kind of crazy. We did a little bit on the show that that week, and I'm still my head is still spinning from that. It just seemed like such an an easy football for people on, you know, I don't know. But but let, let me let's go to the uh, the before we get to uh, last night's speech. The the two, um, you know, I thought the most impressive speech coming out of North Carolina was uh, was Condoleezza Rice. I mean, I, I who you know I had a lot of disagreements with during. Her tenure as the secretary, but I just thought she was very stateswoman-like, and and uh, you know just seemed kind of above the above the fray, and didn't and didn't her partisanship didn't seem as as um, you know illicit as uh, as she has in the past and as others had. Did you did you get to see that speech? I did. I watched the whole thing, and I was absolutely deeply offended. Uh, offended that. Listen, she, you know, you know as well as I do about performance. She gave a great performance. Don't get me wrong. Her speech was good. But I was deeply offended by the fact that Condoleezza Rice didn't mention the word Iraq. Don't forget, she was one of the architects of the Iraq war. And the idea that we're going to forget the families, uh, and, and, and the people in Iraq and everybody else who lost their lives or injured who have been affected for the rest of their life by that war. The idea that we're going to forget or forgive that mistake. Uh, I was I was I was very offended by that. I was very offended by the fact that uh, there was no Bush, there was no Cheney, uh, there weren't people from that administration. Why? Because a lot of us think they did terrible, terrible things, and 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 Condoleezza Rice is one of those people who I think did terrible things. She's still still defending that war as uh, something that was the right thing to do, and she truly believes that. I happen not to, and I and I think uh, it's wrong to forget about. Uh, all those people, and, and, and that's what I identify her with, and yet it wasn't even mentioned. That's how I felt. Well, I think the political um, the political choice not to say the word Iraq is definitely um, calculated. I mean, she did talk about the, the families, uh, the soldiers and their family sacrifice. She did. There was the uh, pack, you know, the clip package of, uh, of of the Bush family and and that whole thing. So, so I think that they, you know, they. Listen, that's the it's a it's a difficult mission to for for them to have to try and walk back or or avoid or sidestep those some people, of the those people that did those things 
should be held responsible for them. They shouldn't be celebrated. It's That's how I feel. I mean, I talk to these guys, Sean, and I said every week with the Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans Association, you know, one, less than 1% of American families are affected. You know, it's an all-volunteer service. That's why nobody cares about wars. There's no draft. There's no penalty. There's no tax. It doesn't affect anybody. Go shop. But if you get to know these families and everybody should take the responsibility to get to know these families, if someone in your family uh, was affected by this war, you never forget that. And the, the idea that our leaders aren't going to take the opportunity to remind us of that because it's not politically advantageous should be offensive. Are you able opinion, to say? Everybody. Are you able to to bring this kind of um, perspective to Republicans in their house, so to speak? I mean, can you can you raise that point, yeah. or you just have to hold it? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I don't hold it. I, I say exactly what I mean, and I'm, I'm wrong, and I'm hypocritical, and I'm stupid half the time, but I, I, I'm as honest as I can be. And, I, you know, I said it absolutely. I said it to uh, a Republican congressman who I talked to last week, and I said it to yesterday Democratic Senator uh, Carl Levin of, uh, of Michigan. I talked to him about it as well. Did you find any of their answers refreshing? Did you find that, like, you, you were surprised by some of it, or did, it, did it pretty much their responses to your, your thing just confirm your, your reality? No, I was, there, there was, uh, there was, uh, you know, I, I don't accept the talking points, Sean. I don't accept their, their PS. So I, I keep pushing them on it. And, uh, whether it was the governor, former governor of South Carolina, uh, Mark Sanford, or, uh, Louis Gomer of Texas, who was one of these, uh, right wing, way out there guys. Um, no, I mean, they, I, I was refreshed because I, I, I tried to keep them as honest as I could. And, uh, and, and they didn't, they did, you can't, they, you know, you ask these guys, Sean, about the, about the veterans, they can't avoid that stuff. They have to answer that one. It's different than a, you know, an economic question, a jobs question, or a science question. Tell me about, um, tell me about Romney's speech. How do you, how did, did you, did anything that he said or any part of his presentation, uh, feel, Maybe if not to you specifically, since you're, you've got such a you know strong kind of adversarial point, do you, do you think it was effective for people? Um, it was good enough. You know, it was good enough. Uh, he's he's obviously not a great speaker. He doesn't know how to emote. He doesn't know how to tell his eyes that his face is smiling. And uh, you know, it was it was, it was pretty well written. Uh, he had a, he actually had a, a joke that he delivered pretty well. Um, and, and he hit President Obama uh, accurately with the joke when he made fun of President Obama for saying, oh, the oceans will stop rising. And, you know, and he said, I'll, I'll, I'll try to help your family. That was a very effective line, I thought, very effective. And he landed it. Uh, but, I mean, you know, Mitt Romney's not a great uh, or inspiring person. Uh, he hasn't had a, you know, a difficult life and narrative, and politicians always try to find that thing that can relate to with people. So he's got a tough case to prove. He always has. Uh, but I think overall it was good enough. There was no, there were no. I don't know if you know, the not having a difficult life thing is going to wash. I mean, he's had his wife has had a dis, you know challenges, and you know he's he's yeah he's wealthy, so there's there's you know that. But I don't know that that it's a, a good approach for Democrats to equate wealth with with uh, an easy life. But but now okay, so last night I predicted, and that we because it would have you know any anybody could predict it. But, but what I meant by, what I meant by that, Sean, is you everybody Republican or Democrat, like for example John McCain, you know, spent the you know seven eight years in Vietnam, you know, tortured. Um, he had that, and, and, and so whether you're a Democrat or, or Republican, it doesn't matter. You want to find the the, the the most difficult adversity that you had to try to overcome and play that up. And Mitt Romney has a tough time doing that. That's what I meant. I understand. I understand. So. Well, I mean, yeah, the, uh, okay, so we'll, we'll leave that alone for a minute, but talk about, I mean, Clinton brought the house down last night, just absolutely 
unequivocally by any standard the guy was it was a a tour de force performance and and vintage clinton it was by some accounts long i didn't i didn't personally find it long i i wanted to keep listening and listening and 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 listening yeah. for details but what was it like in the hall and then what what's your analysis of his uh his well, i just want to say before before anything else i mean clinton also brought the economy down clinton is the, is the president who signed the legislation deregulating uh, the banks, and getting rid of Glass-Steagall, the idea that he wasn't responsible for that for the financial crisis. Bill Clinton and all the Democrats in the Senate that signed that, that, that uh, allowed investment in commercial banks to combine the repeal Glass-Steagall, something that kept us safe for 70 years. He should take responsibility for that. Obviously, he's not going to. Don't even start with that. As far as his speech, there's, there's really nobody better. Why? Because he has a conversation with the audience. I'm a stand-up comedian, so I've been performing in front of live audiences for 15 years. He knows how to work, Sean. He had it in the palm of his hand. You could hear a pin drop. And yeah, I mean, after 48 minutes, there was almost, believe it or not, a feeling that people would have listened to more. And he was able, people always say, Sean, that you can't talk policy in these speeches at these conventions. He talked Tons of policy. He's, he rebutted all kinds of points that we heard last week. He talked more policy in one very long speech than we heard almost all of last week at the RNC. And he did it effectively. He didn't do it, you know, above people's heads, and and uh, and, and he did it in a way that people, I think, could understand. He's not a guy I'd want to argue policy with. You know, as a as a new uh, radio host and a political radio host at that, I've. I've really had to come face to face with how little I know. I, I, I existed <laughs> campaigning for presidents and doing things with a, with a sense of confidence because I have a good vocabulary. And and uh, but now this this idea of a democratization of information and of facts and data, I find myself, you know, even just driving in, I, I want to talk about a particular topic on the show, and the Twitter followers are zipping me with. Uh, you know, hitting me with, with articles that, you know, stuff I didn't see happen or, you know, yep. and I, I can't, I, my brain almost can't keep keep up with it. So, I, you know, I, I feel like one of the things Clinton did last night was he, he squatted on like about 150 pieces of pure data and then built the, you yeah. know, kind of carved it, carved it into his uh, conclusions that he wanted to. How do you, you know, who do you, I think he, if there was an Oscar, he'd win for best use of the word arithmetic. But in terms of the actual, <laughs> in terms of the actual data, how do you think the data that the Republicans are using and the data that he's using are are being um, squished and tortured and used effectively? Well, you know, there's not two sides to everything, Sean. That's that's one thing. You know, some some for some issues, there's many sides. You know, he made one comment about uh, Democratic governors have created more jobs than Republican governors. I mean, technically, that's true, but it's also very misleading. So there are a number of organizations. When you say technically it's true, where do, how does who calculates that? Because that seems like whoever calculates it has a lot of, you know, latitude to decide well, what to include. Well, I mean, under, you know, uh, uh, say a Democratic president. More jobs are created, but the, the, you could argue that those policies were created by Republican policies uh, that kicked in, you know, after the Democratic president took over. I mean, for, for example, it would be like saying under President Obama, the first three months there was eight, you know, eight hundred thousand uh, jobs lost a month. That was his fault. 
well, he was president during that time. It must be his fault. Of course it wasn't his fault, but technically it happened under him. It had nothing to do with him, but it happened under him. So that's how those numbers sometimes get crunched. Uh, there's, there could be a Democratic president and a, and a Republican House, or rather a Republican Congress, and, and Congress, you know, decides on the legislation. In the end, the president signs it. So that's how those things get twisted, and that's how those things mislead. But we all have to do our best and be as responsible as we can to find out the truth. And these fact-checking organizations are pretty good. Factcheck.org, Fact, CNN, AP, Washington Post, they do a pretty good job. And if you have time to read them all, you'll, you'll come away with a pretty close truth. With, with an inability to get behind anything. <laughs> you know, because everything everybody says can be, you know, part, you know, just kind of pulled a, pulled apart. But do you think Clinton gave the rank and file Democrat, the, the, the guy, the volunteer who's doing canvassing on the street, do you think he gave them enough, not just kind of a lift emotionally, but enough data to be able to go out and make effective arguments? He did. Yes. That's a good question that you're asking. And the answer is yes. He, he gave them, uh, he, he was able to, uh, put it on a level for anybody to understand when he said, you know, Paul Ryan has uh, been accusing President Obama of stealing $716 billion from Medicare. you got to have some brass to accuse someone of doing something that you actually did yourself or doing yourself. I mean, that's, that's what I've been trying to distill, you know, to have that conversation about that specific point on the radio program. He did it in a way that was, you know, poking fun and rubbing Paul Ryan's nose in the face. And it was able, it was easier for people to understand, too. All right. Well, last thing, and then I'll thank you so much for generosity with your time, man. Uh, Pete, I've, I've, I've watched your comedy. I've watched your, uh, your, your critiques. You're, you're so, I mean, you know, you're very self-deprecating about things that you get wrong and, and, and being fallible and everything, which is really the only way to proceed for anybody because we, because everyone is that. So it's, it's just a good strategy. Well, I, I, I appreciate you noticing that. I mean, I mean, I know you've gotten this probably every day of your life, but my life is this Rudy, Rudy Rudiger. I mean, I. I All right, I'll skip for him. He uh, talks about Rudy for a while. That you that you have an intellectual honesty that's relative to your experience, and I, and I think that if everybody did that, it would be really, really helpful. So, but tell me, going out of it, I mean, you've got uh, President Obama's speeches tonight. Um, they've come in from the uh, the big stadium. I think the rain saved them from a bad story about they couldn't fill the stadium and everything else. But what is your um, a three-parter. What, what is your biggest critique, even though it's a diverse group of the Democrats? What's, what do you think is the, the strongest thing they have going, and how, how do you think Obama will do tonight? I think my, probably my biggest critique of Democrats is their inability to, to talk about their success, uh, but I would also say their, their inability of defending organized labor. I think that they take their money, but they don't take action. Uh, what was your second question, Sean? I just, uh, just and, and just uh, no, no, no. That's right. Just just to finish up, how do you think uh, President Obama will do tonight? What do you think the expectation is? I mean, he's he's clearly riding in on a high from Clinton. What do you? What's your take yeah, on what's I mean, about to happen? Yeah, the, the expectations are high. They always are high because he sets a high standard. Um, the guy writes a, a good speech and he delivers a great speech. He's a very different orator. Then, of course, Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton talks with the audience, has a conversation with them, and, you know, and President Obama, uh, is more of a, uh, JFK-like speaker, right? I mean, he, he, he'll, he'll perform, he'll deliver, he'll be yelling, the, the, the roof will blow off the house, but I think that the most of his biggest burden tonight is to talk about what he would do with another four years. Nobody knows what he'll do with another four years. He can't sit there and blame and blame and, I mean, he, he, he could and he should, but it won't be effective. Uh, he has to tell uh, the American people tonight what he plans to do 
in the next four years and, and, and lay that out for him in a way that they believe he can accomplish with this partisan gridlock, which is a tough case for him to make. And if you had to predict the bounce coming out of the, the convention? He'll get a good bounce. I'll say five to seven points or something, but Sean Aston, I have no idea. Pete Dominic saying five to seven points. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's about as good as uh, any other horrific, crappy prediction. <laughs> Predictions are like, uh, you know, it's it's just a parlor game. But, uh, uh, Pete, yeah. thank you so much for, for... All right, I thanked him, and then I, I forgot to ask him about his show, so I went back, and he uh, here's, here's a little bit about Pete's show. Uh, Pete, one last thing. So you're recording live tonight. You've got your show. Tell, tell my audience about your show. Where can they find it, and what what, what is the show? Yeah, thanks, Sean. It's, Sir- it's on SiriusXM, and it's uh, channel 124. It's called the POTUS channel. The show is called Stand Up with Pete Dominic. It airs 3 to 6 Eastern every day. And, uh, and I, you know, hopefully a lot of people that are listening to your podcast will check it out. It's a really, really open-minded conversation. And, and uh, while I lean way to the left, conservatives like the show more than liberals because they think it's a free exchange and honest conversation. So hopefully uh, people will check it out on SiriusXM. Awesome. Well, there you go. Uh, thanks, Pete, for calling in. And uh, really smart guy. I like that he was critical on both sides. Clearly a, a, a lefty, far lefty, but uh, critical of Clinton with the uh, the deregulation thing and, and critical uh, a few different times. So I, I appreciated that. But I'm still calling all conservatives. The show's almost over. You know, for the love of Mike, somebody call me, 323-622-8623. Make a good, smart, conservative comment. Rebuttal to Clinton. Uh, thought about uh, what Pete and I just had to say. Um, this show is meant to be fair, so I can't help being a Democrat. I can't help uh, wanting to support uh, who I want to support. But I can offer a free, fair mic to people uh, who have differing opinions. That's the whole point of the show, civil discourse. Uh, in the absence of that, we'll listen to a couple last Clinton um, hits before we go. We simply cannot afford to give the reins of government to someone who will double down on trickle down. There you go. That was the line of the night for him. Double down on trickle down. <laughs> uh, you, gotta, you know, the writers on both sides were like, you know, Democrats like, yes. And the problem like, oh, man, double down on trickle down. Hold on. Here's another one. If you think the president was right to open the doors of American opportunity to all those young immigrants brought here when they were young so they can serve in the military or go to college, you must vote for Barack Obama. Well, I think that's a a very uh, effective way to make that case about um, immigration, you know, two really patriotic things, getting a college education and serving in the military. I'm not sure that Democrat or uh, that Republicans would agree that um, Republican position uh, precludes that because Republicans always remind us that uh, it's illegal immigration that I'm ha- not happy with, that legal immigration is a great thing and what the country is founded on. Um, so the question really becomes, when it comes to immigration, like, you know, what to do with undocumented people, with uh, children, second generation folks. Anyhow, we know that argument, or at least it's not going to end in this moment. Uh, here's another one. If you want every American to vote and you think it is wrong to change voting procedures, Just to reduce the turnout of younger, poorer, minority, and disabled voters, you should support Barack Obama. Well, we had a lot of conversation about it during our election law series, 
And uh, I think what we kind of came away with, the, I don't know if it was consensus or I just decided to agree with it and that's that. But um, it's the joy of having your own show, I guess. But um, was that you know the voter ID thing, that there isn't a scourge of uh, voter fraud. Um, and, you know, the guy that we had, Paul, that I had call in who works at trying to help get universities to help their students get registered for either party uh, and participate, that uh, they deal with a lot of, uh, of suppression of voter of voters, and it, and it usually runs along the lines of what uh, Clinton said. So if it's not true, then that, uh, that Republicans work very hard to try and uh, adjust voting laws um, that ultimately have the effect of excluding uh, minorities and poor people uh, and so forth, um, they got to do a better job of explaining that because right now it seems like that for me. Hold on. Here's one more. If you want a winner-take-all, you're on your own society, you should support the Republican ticket. But if you want a country of shared opportunities and sh- There he goes with the shared opportunity thing again. Shared opportunities. Um, I'm, there's one clip that I'm hoping we can hit here before. We simply cannot. No, I already did that one. Uh, I cut these all up into like different little spots. Hold on, let me see if I can get. Let's go up here. Um, let's see if I can do this. Plan Republicans. No, nope, that's not going to work. Hmm. I could do this all day. I love this. Let's call it derisively Obamacare. Oh, here you go. Healthcare. They say it's a government takeover, a disaster, and that if we'll just elect them, they'll repeal it. Well, are they right? <laughs> Let's take a look at what's actually happened so far. First, all right, we can't we can't get into the whole healthcare thing. There's uh, he goes on for a good little bit about that. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, Vox Populi, host of the occasionally interested people, really loved our robust exchange on whether or not the word God uh, should have been included in the Democratic Party platform and uh, what we thought about the procedure to reinstate it. Uh, and I appreciate you letting me play uh, Clinton's uh, whole, whole host of his quotes from last night. Thanks to Pete Dominic for agreeing to call or let me call him from the Democratic uh, Convention. Johnny Ice, thanks for your help on the boards, running those pictures, making things sound just right. Remember, VoxPopuliRadio.com. Go and become a quote-unquote friend of the show. Buy a, uh, a wristband, a Vox Populi wristband, and get an autograph photo from the first day of the show. Um, we're looking to try and hire ourselves a political, uh, you know, a professional radio political type producer of folks, so we need to raise money to do that. And uh, that's all. Happy convention. We'll look forward to seeing what uh, President Obama has to say tonight. It's bound to be uh, compelling. And then we'll go into next week and, and see what happens as, they, uh, as the campaigns hit full stride, cruising altitude. Much love to all. We'll see you next week. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network. Radio worth watching.